June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. In 2020, Daily Trail markers, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke ended his presidential campaign Friday. Kirsten Gillibrand, the New York senator, is dropping out of the 2020 presidential race. Well, that was Washington Governor Jay Inslee announcing the end of his presidential run. The 68. Yes, the campaign started with the largest field in Democratic primary history. Candidates vying for the right to take on President Trump next fall. And it's the big numbers, those polling in the top tier, that do get most of the attention. That's the 64 percent considering Elizabeth Warren, the 51 percent considering Joe Biden and so forth. But what can we learn from the campaigns who are trailing? What can we learn from those who faded or even dropped out? What do we learn about the shape of the race, about what might change, about the impact of money in politics and what it is voters say they want versus what they really want? We will talk to CBS News political reporter who has been on the road with Beta O'Rourke, with Kamala Harris, and that is Tim Perry. I am Anthony Salvanto. Welcome to this week's episode of Where Did You Get This Number? This is an honor and a thrill. Stop it. it this is awesome. Anthony, I, stop it. Back, back from the road, covering <laughs> on the ground, 2020, the, the Tim Perry. Anthony, CBS first— CBS News. Let me just thank you for having me. This has been the <laughs> honor of all of the honors of my life <laughs> to be in the studio with you, just laying out everything that I have. Full disclosure, listeners, we're here with CBS <sighs> News political reporter Tim Perry, who is back from covering the campaign uh, on the road in 2020 and has been for how long now? Since uh, this is, so We started in May, so... Or, or I guess we trained in April and then we got our assignments the end of April and then I started covering... Back in May, I had four candidates. I had Beto O'Rourke, who's no longer in the race. I had Governor Jay Inslee, who's no longer in the race. I had a former HUD secretary. <laughs> they must be glad to see you <laughs> <Yeah>. show up. <laughs> yes, yes. I've been. <laughs> that's kind of the joke on the trail right now is that when I show up, things don't always go so well. Um, but, you know, I just do what I can. Uh, but I also have uh, former HUD secretary Julian Castro and Montana Governor Steve Bullock. And now I just got uh, Senator Kamala Harris back in August or September. So a lot of candidates to juggle. And, and I want to talk about that. And, you know, disclosure for the listeners, you know, Tim and I go back and we we backward. You were working at, at Face the Nation. Exactly. We were doing a lot of polling there. We still are. And Tim would ask me how <laughs> polls work, but not just in a intellectual how do polls work yes. way in a very skeptical way very, which i appreciate thank which you, you gotta you know you gotta push back and on you stuff. had the best analogy for me you caught it you said it was like a soup or no i'm sorry a stew yeah and i still think it was one of the craziest things i've ever heard but it worked i i, I actually worked that up i put it in my book i talked about how doing a poll was like taking a bowl of my grandmother's spaghetti sauce mm -hmm. which was to say that 
you know, she made this whole vat and it had pieces of meat and pieces of garlic and salt, etc. Some onions and some peppers. Oh, definitely. Onions, peppers, all of that, right? I've, you know, I've got to put the recipe somewhere. It's just, <laughs> she sure, never wrote I'm it sh- down. I'm sure she loves or she would love you giving out her secrets. She would, no, but she never wrote it down. Oh, well, that, those are the best recipes. They are the best recipes. Yeah. So I, you know, I might, could try to, you know, recreate it. But what what it was is that if for the in the polling analogy anyway, what happens is you don't eat all of it, though you will could right. and it'd be great. But what you get in your bowl is you get a piece of garlic that is like the other pieces of garlic in the bowl. You get a meatball that is like the other meatballs in the bowl, and so you get a representative sample. And that's what polling is trying to do. Sure, like getting getting people who represent the other people you don't talk to. Okay, so now that I'm getting hungry, yeah. <laughs> let's let's get let's get down to the, back to the campaign. So, you're out there. You mentioned you were out there with Beta O'Rourke, right? Mm-hmm. In the summertime, he was never leading in the polls. He was never a high top tier candidate, but he had more consideration anyway. People thinking about voting for him currently than did right before he left the race. What was it like for you on a campaign? where the person was struggling. Mm-hmm. What was different about that campaign as opposed to... Like a Warren or like a Bernie. Yeah, what so, were they doing differently? Um, we were lucky enough that we could also go to other events. So I was also like, I got to go to at least like one Warren event or I got to go to at least one Biden event so I could kind of compare. And the one thing I will say is that uh, when you are not doing as well in the polls as you would like... There's much more of a need for us to be there, us, us as in the embeds, the reporters. The reporters. And so I could ask him three questions if I wanted to. He was very, very, very accessible to people like me. Because um, he needed the media they, He needed the media. He needed a camera in front of him. We gaggled sometimes two times a day. A gaggle is when the candidate comes out. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. A gaggle is when they come over and they talk to you after the event or sometimes before the event, and you just have a group of reporters who are just yelling out questions. And for us, at a O'Rourke gaggle, he knew all of us by our— like, he knew who Mm. we were, and so we didn't have to yell out. He was, Tim, what's your question? And sometimes money means a lot especially these events. And for someone like him who wasn't raising the same amounts of money that, say, your Senator Warrens were, your Bernie's, uh, at at one point, your Biden's or your Buttigieg's, uh, the events weren't always the same. You know, just things like having a riser at an event. Like, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, Mm -hmm. but, like, that's the uh, difference between getting a shot of your candidate or getting the shot of the back of someone's head. Let me ask you this, Tim. Is there something that you saw, positive or negative, when you had that kind of access, mm-hmm. that kind of one-on-one with the candidate that you described, right. where you came away and said, boy, wouldn't it be interesting if the general public saw this, knew this? Oh, my God, absolutely. I, you know, I always tell my friends that, like, one of the biggest misunderstandings about him um, that wasn't always fair, and there were a lot of criticisms about him that were fair, um, but one of the critiques about him that I think most people didn't fully always understand was just how versed he was in policy. The last full trip I took with him, we went to a weed distillery. We went to a homeless shelter. We went. Uh, we met with victims of gun violence. We met with some of the survivors of Parkland and the Columbine shooting and the Aurora shooting. And he knows his stuff. And the people who you talk to them after, and they're always like the types of questions he's asking, these aren't questions that like 
that he learned to ask the night before. He knew the policy. Was it your sense at those events that people got those details and yet Democrats who often say they want particulars of policy, that mm-hmm. they want to hear all these details, did he not communicate a larger theme that resonated then? What's, you know, sort of put on a pundit hat here for a minute, but did did something not connect not resonate with the audience that was a broader vision then? Well, I mean, I don't know if we were always displaying those. You you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how much of those conversations were making it out for the world to see. Mm -hmm. When you get your biggest audiences uh, during these debates, it's hard to really fully show how well you know policy. Because you you have have a minute to speak. You have a minute to speak, and a lot of it's just so-and-so says this, How do you respond to them as Mm -hmm. opposed to what does your plan actually say or like what are you actually going to do? So he was the first candidate to put out a climate plan. And I covered Jay Inslee, who was the climate candidate. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he had detailed policy that was going out. But I don't know if people are always going through and reading through those policies. When you see things like that happen. And I turn around as a pollster and keep saying, oh, yeah, Democrats say they care about climate change. That's mm-hmm. their number one issue, right? And it is, or mm-hmm. at least second to health care anyway, right? And it's so important. And then you see candidates out there, Jay Inslee, Abedo, with his plan, talking about it. Does it ever make you go, well, wait a second, I'm just seeing something different on the ground than the polls are saying? Because how can Democrats say that they want this and here's a candidate delivering it? Is it in their messaging or is it just maybe hey i don't buy what those polls are are telling me i don't know if it's all i don't know if it's the polls as much as i think again like what is getting covered and what are people seeing at home it's a media effect it's a me it's a media effect i mean we have we go to a town hall almost every night during the week with these candidates and they're all taking questions and when i started traveling with harris she was kind of on the downward tick. And so she had to take more and more questions from the audience. She had to be a little bit more engaged with the audience than maybe some of the other top-tier candidates um, have to. They, I mean, and I'm not saying that the people who are crushing it aren't taking questions. It's <laughs> just I don't know how often, you know, the front runners are knocking. You, you know, Kamala's making dinner at islands, like, at their home. She's doing, like, a supper <laughs> at their house, you know, cooking dinner with— there's her supporters mm-hmm. and taking one-on-one questions. This is like a new thing that they're doing because she's going all in on Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so at least once a week now, I think is what they want to do. They're going to be having her in homes, right. making them food. I don't know if uh, Senator Warren has to do that. So they're rating the candidate on how often they see Exactly. Them. And, uh-huh. and a lot of times it's like, I want to meet you four times uh-huh. before I make up my mind on if I'm going to vote for you. Uh-huh. I had never met a candidate before this, and I, and, and, and I had still voted. Right, um, so, right. you know, it's just, there's just a higher expectation. Tim, we're going to take a break, and when we come back on the other side, I want to ask more details about the Harris campaign. Now sure. That you're covering that. We'll be back in a second. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, 
I'm here in Fort Dodge. I am heading to Des Moines. We have been uh, practically living in Iowa, <laughs> um, but doing the the work of, of everything from you know being with families in their living rooms and to cooking with families to to doing larger events with hundreds of people. And it's about earning the support. And we are back. We are here with Tim Perry, CBS News political reporter. Tim, back from the road. Thank you for joining. And we're here with Anthony Salvanto, <laughs> Salvanto too. I want you to plug yourself. <laughs> I I appreciate that, sir. <laughs> I, I I do. But but look, you're the you're the one bringing the the road knowledge here back from these campaigns. And we were talking before the break about Kamala Harris's campaign. Mm-hmm. We watched in the polling her go this summer. We had her at fifty three percent of Democratic voters were at least considering her, right. not voting for her yet, but at least considering her. And then that dropped, and that dropped, and it, you know now it went down to thirty six percent. That's still you know decent, but it's not not what it was. And the actual number of people giving her first choice vote mm-hmm. has also dropped in the single digits. Is there a sense, or were you talking to people on background in the campaign, what they think brought about that change? I think one of the things that the campaign likes to stress, and it's something that I do tend to agree with them more on, is it's still really early. And the amount of people who've made up their minds... Is low. Low. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we always have to keep in perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think that momentum means a lot. And obviously money, if you're not polling as high, then the donors kind of dry up. And we're seeing that a lot with like Mayor Pete. He's taking a lot of the donors away from her. It becomes sort of a vicious cycle. It becomes a very vicious cycle. I will say that I think part of part of her downward tick, kind of that surrounds the debates. Um, she had a very strong first debate where she went after by former Vice President Joe Biden. Let's roll that sound from NBC. You also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But the second debate where Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard kind of took it to her with her past as a prosecutor and as the uh, Attorney General of California, Harris didn't seem to be prepared to answer those questions. And those are questions that, you know, have been around for forever. Tim, we have that clip. Let me play it from CNN. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. And I am proud of making a decision to not just give fancy speeches or be in a legislative body and give speeches on the floor, but actually doing the work of being in the position to use the power that I had to reform a system that is badly in need of reform. That is why we created initiatives that were about re-entering former offenders and getting them counseling. It is why, and because I know that criminal justice system is so broken, that I am an advocate for what we need to do to not only decriminalize, but legalize marijuana in the United States. I think one of the things that people liked about Harris was the fact that they they saw a fighter in her and they see someone who can go toe-to-toe with Donald Trump on a debate stage. And if you can't handle those attacks coming from Tulsi Gabbard, then that kind of 
eats away at the core reason why people were into you. You know, one of the biggest applauses that she gets on her stump is when she talks about her grilling former Attorney General Sessions or Attorney General Barr. And and I, I can't wait to be on the stage with Donald Trump. And the crowd goes crazy for stuff. Like, they love that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when she couldn't handle that moment on the debates and during the second debate in Detroit, I think a lot of people saw her as not being so prepared. And a prosecutor, one of the things you think of with a prosecutor is strength and being prepared. Mm-hmm. And if if you're not showing that early on in, in mm-hmm. the primary against a Tulsi Gabbard, why would you be able to show that against President Trump, who's a great showman and who loves to put on a good show? Does that make sense? I, I want to follow up on that, too, and say, well, is it that particular policy or that the, her particular policies from when she was attorney general that may have hurt her standing, especially, you know, with the, the constituencies among the Democratic base where they felt like that wasn't the kind of, those weren't the kinds of policies that they would like to, to pick know, in a candidate. What's funny, especially about her record, is you don't talk to a lot of Democratic voters who really know her record. Uh-huh. They don't know what she did as attorney general. They've just heard, oh, she was a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Bad, especially younger black voters. Mm-hmm. I was with her at Benedict uh, College in South Carolina a few weekends ago. And one of the questions that came up was this meme that's going around on social media of her dressed as a cop and, like, arresting someone. It's, like, her face photoshopped on this meme. And obviously she's she's never been a cop. But that's just something that's sticking with a lot of the younger black voters who see, you know, you were a prosecutor. Historically, prosecutors have not been good for people who look like me young black or brown people. So why should I trust you? And her argument is, I was trying to fix a broken system from within. And I think one of the things that she probably could have done a little bit better early on is kind of explaining her record and explaining where she's been on some of these hot button issues. But I don't know if I've gotten that from her. And I don't know if if voters in particular have gotten so much of that from her. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you now, if, if you don't mind me asking. No, I do uh, not. Because obviously last week the New York Times came out with the article that had, this is the most diverse field, you know, a democratic field that we can think of, yet the top tier. The most diverse ever. Yeah, the most diverse ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I mean, I felt like that was true. I just didn't want to say it. Yeah. But the top tier candidates are all white. And do you think that that has something to do with the fact that the first two states and the states, the, the really the state that gets the most amount of attention right now is Iowa, where only 4% of that state is black? Well, two things. One is that, you know, you're right about the diversity of those early states relative to the rest of those Super Tuesday states. In fact, the topic you raise is being discussed on the campaign trail. This is a clip of Julian Castro. We can't say to black women, oh, thank you, thank you. You're the ones that are powering our victories in places like Alabama and in 2018. And then turn around and start our nominating contest in the two states that have barely any black people in them. I mean, that doesn't make sense. We can't, as a Democratic We asked in our polling a couple of months ago, we asked people to game out electability. And that's a word you hear thrown around a lot, right? Which is to say that it's Democratic voters who, for them, they're so eager to try to beat President Trump that they're trying to game out the system and go, okay, never mind who I like mm-hmm. I as a voter, 
but who will other people vote for? Sure. So we asked in the polling, who do you think, poll respondent, those swing voters are going to vote for? Would they prefer a man or a woman? Would they prefer someone who was white or someone who was of color or minority? And there, a lot of people said they didn't think it would matter, right? Mm-hmm. That was the bulk of the, the responses. But there were more who thought something would matter, who thought that swing voters would prefer a white male. Interesting. <laughs> and that told me a lot about how voters think about other voters and how Democrats in particular thought about the electorate beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, right? You can't turn people into political consultants. and right. Well, political consultants aren't always right, so, sure. so voters aren't, aren't always right. But that's how they thought of it. When you were out there on the trail, is that something you saw as voters talking back to you? You know, really... No, I like uh-huh. that. It's it's not something I don't hear, and it's funny because one of the things that Harris has incorporated into her stump speech, and I think sometimes it's almost using it as an excuse for why she's not doing as well. Is you know she always says people, you know, in every race I've ever ran, they didn't know if if they were ready for a black or a woman of color, and you find that you don't hear that. I I hear more people who say that they're ready for a female president than than not. But again, these are people that are showing up at these events. Um, and so I don't know if that will translate to the people who aren't paying attention as closely, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a certain sample. Yeah. But, um, but look, the other thing we, we ought to talk about, though, is that Joe Biden has dominated the African-American vote in the polling yes. from here. And and that could also be part of the answer to your, to your question. I don't know. I mean, you know, what's interesting is... Yes, you're 100% right. And one of the narratives that's been coming around, especially surrounding Mayor Pete, has been he does not do a good job connecting with black voters. And I think to your point, well, no one besides Joe Biden is really doing a good job getting black voters. And tell me what that means, connecting. Connecting, I think it just means, you know, part of it's trust, part of it's just we know we know this person. But as you said, like polling, you know, he's got a big, he's polling very high, especially in in South Carolina. Um, He's doing very well with black voters there. And nationally, he's doing very well with, in in particular, older black voters, which are, tend to be the voters that vote in higher numbers in the, within the black community during primaries or in probably during elections in general. All right. Tim Perry, CBS News political reporter. Tim? Dr. Anthony Salvanto, thank you so much for having me. For the listeners out there, if you like what you've heard, let's give it, give us a rating, right? Rate the podcast. Oh, yes. We're we're having fun. We hope you have enjoyed uh, listening as well. Uh, we will have Tim back, and uh, we will uh, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will be back here. Let me thank my producer, Alan Pang, Maeve Burke, and everybody at CBS Radio who helps make all of this possible. And uh, we will we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>